Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. It's fall of the year, so we're doing a sermon series right now entitled The Fall, not because of the fall of the year, but because I really felt a need for us to focus uh, upon what got us in the mess we're in, the original fall uh, of man, uh, the choices that, that Adam and Eve made that led uh, to mankind being in a lost condition. Uh, and while that sounds like maybe a history lesson for you, that's not why we're dealing with it, because it's really practical to look at the elements of the fall because those same tricks are the things that Satan wants to use today to take us down a a wrong path, to get us to believe wrong things, to fool us, to uh, trip us up uh, in in our individual uh, lives. Um, Let it be a wake-up call then, not a history lesson. There there are five main topics that we're going to look at over these Sundays. Uh, We started out last week with uh, the first topic, and that was doubt. I uh, looked at Genesis 3, verse 1 through 3. That's the first tactic that Satan wants to use. He wants to cause us to doubt God's Word. And if he can get us to doubt God's Word, the next step is that he wants to believe him, wants us to believe him, uh, when he denies God's Word, or even lead us to the point that you and I uh, will live in denial of what God has really said uh, in, in his word. Uh, from there, uh, he also is going to deal with the, the topic of death. We'll be in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, catch up with me behind on the slides there just a, a little bit. There we go. Thanks. Uh, after denial, after uh, Adam and Eve, uh, especially Eve is Miss led, and she believes this denial that Satan gives. It leads regrettably to death. It also leads to distance. They are eventually banished from that garden that God had prepared for them, and it even affects their descendants, their descendants. Um, It's very important practically for us to understand this story, like I said, because of the way Satan still uses these same tricks to try and get us to go down a wrong path and make wrong choices. But it's also important theologically because if we fail to understand what the first man, Adam, did, then we'll also not have a good understanding of what the second man, Adam, uh, Jesus Christ, did for us. You see, we start out with this story of the fall here in the Bible, and from there on through the rest of the Bible, God is telling us the steps that he has taken to redeem us, to bring us out of our sin, to call us back to himself. So that's why it's really important for us to understand this topic. Today we're talking about denial, as I said a a moment ago. Uh, Satan is never content with just getting us to doubt. In verse 1 through 3 last week, Satan more or less tried to bring about some implications against God, and he was raising questions like this. Well, did God really say that? You know, because if he can get us to doubt if God really said that, is that really what God meant? Then the next logical step is kind of if we doubt if God said it, it makes it real easy for us to get to the point that we're willing to deny what God has said or at least believe what Satan wants us to believe about God's words. 
Look at the verses we're at today. Verse, uh, we're going down through verse 13, but to begin with, I want to just, just kind of set the context in verse 4 and 5. But the serpent, and of course that's Satan, said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, talking about that forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is not happy with us just doubting. He wants us to deny. And Satan outright here denies what God said. In fact, he's calling God a liar. If you read between the lines, he's outright saying God's lied to you. It's an outright attack that he makes against the very character of God. And we're going to look at four consequences today of denying God's words. And that's the first one. Consequence number one is when we deny God's words, denial of God's words does this. It calls into question the very character of God. That's why it's very serious for us to try and deny what God has said. Because it's like we're calling God's character into question. Well, God, you evidently you don't know what you're talking about, or God, you've lied to us, or God, you've got impure motives. The servant said, the same verses we read a moment ago, to Eve, you will not surely die. He started out with some implications. Now it's an all-out attack against God. Wanting Eve to believe that God somehow is being unfair. God somehow is mistreating them. Last week we saw that Satan even put it like this. Well, has God told you you can't eat of any of the trees? He was making it sound like God told them they couldn't eat of any of the trees in the garden. When really there's only one prohibition, and that was for their own good, for their own benefit, to preserve their innocence and their relationship with God himself. In this story that we're looking at today, Satan attacks the very character of God in two huge ways. First of all, he attacks the character of God by questioning God's truthfulness. By questioning God's truthfulness. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You notice that's the exact opposite of what God really said. In chapter 2 and verse 17, God said that you surely will die. He didn't make it like, maybe you will, maybe you don't. He said, surely without any doubt, the days you partake of that, you will die. Satan is denying God's word. He's calling God a liar, as I said a moment ago. Jesus, we looked at the verse last week, Jesus called Satan a liar, and he even said that's all that he does because that's all that he knows to do, because he's the father of what? Lies. So in other words, if Satan is talking, he's lying to you, or at least giving you a partial truth. What happens now in this story is that we have the father of lies calling God a liar. The very father of lies attacking the very character of God. Trying to get Eve to question God's truthfulness, to question whether or not God actually told her the truth. See, that's the devices of Satan. He teaches men to doubt to begin with and then to deny. He, he wants to make us skeptics to start with and then skeptics after he gets us to be a little bit skeptical about what God has had to say. By degrees, he wants to turn us into atheists. Get us starting in the wrong path, in the wrong direction to begin with. 
And the reason he wants to do that is kind of simple. If he can get us to question the very truthfulness and the very character of God, then our human nature kicks in. And we start saying things to ourselves like this. Well, if if God didn't tell me the truth, if God's a liar, then why do I have to be worried about telling people the truth if God's a liar? If God's character is somehow flawed, then why do I need to be worried about my own character? If God somehow is not truthful, then how do I know if I can trust what he says about Jesus? Or how can I trust the rest of the Bible? If God's character is flawed, then there's no standard of morality, and everything just kind of becomes conditional based upon what each individual wants to do. See, that's the way we tend to think if we start to wonder, is God really telling us the truth? It's when we start to linger at temptation. Satan wants to undermine our faith in the reality and the goodness of God and the reliability of God, but it's when we start to linger at temptation, that's when we get into trouble. You need to understand this. You're going to be tempted. You realize that? You will be tempted. doesn't make you a bad person because you're tempted. That's Satan's business. He wants to tempt you. What hurts us is when we linger and we hold on to that temptation. When, when Satan comes to tempt us like he does Eve in this passage of Scripture, we need to remind ourselves of some things that, that's in the Bible. One thing would be here in, in Psalms. Uh, Psalms 119, David writes these words, Therefore... I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. When when Satan comes to tell us, listen, God's lying to you. God's not truthful. God's holding out on you. And you start to doubt or you start to hang around and linger too much with temptation, remind yourself that God's Word is what's really important and that His precepts are always right and we ought to hate false ways and we ought to strive to keep God's Word instead of reject it. But Satan wants us, his trickery is to get us to question God's truthfulness. He also attacks the character of God by wanting to question, wanting us to question God's motives, God's motives. He goes on in verse 5, and the serpent says, for God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. A moment ago, he was denying God's truth. Now Satan does this. He substitutes his own truth in place of God's truth, but remember, he's what? He's what? Satan's a liar. So what he's saying is not true. What he's telling them is not true. He is aiming to persuade Eve to disobey God, and he uses the same method still yet today. There's there's three steps that Satan will use. He'll question whether or not it's a sin. You see, if he can get you to question, well, did God really say that? Is it really wrong for me to do this? Then that's the open door that he needs to progress to the next level. After he gets you to question whether something is a sin, he will deny that there's any danger in it. He wants you to believe that if you do what God has said is wrong, it won't hurt you at all. There won't be any repercussion, there won't be any danger in it. And then he suggests that you'll get a lot of personal gain out of doing this thing you're tempted to do. Because you think, man, this will be good for me, I'll enjoy this, this is what I want. That's the same 
process that Satan uses today. Satan makes it sound like God is selfishly withholding something from Adam and Eve. He's not letting you partake of that one tree. He's withholding it from you for this reason. God knows that you'll have knowledge and wisdom. God is selfish. That's the way Satan's trying to paint this. God is selfish. God doesn't want you to think like him. God doesn't want you to be like him. God told you that you'll surely die because the day that you eat of this, this is what will happen. You will be made like God. That's his lie. That's his temptation. He's substituting his own truth for it. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm sorry some of you are salesmen and things like that, but it's kind of like the ultimate salesman line, you know? We've got all these phrases and everything like that that, uh, that advertisers use or salesmen uh, might use, you know, go for the gusto. You know, that's an old one I, I'm aging myself. It's finger licking good, you know? You know who that goes with as soon as I say it, right? The American heartbeat. Quality's job one. All these kind of phrases that this being used in sales. Guts, glory, what? Ram, tough. I deserve it. I'm worth it. Be all that you can be. Those are slogans out in our culture trying to make us buy into something. Well, here's the top sales line of all time. Satan says, you can be like God. Man, that's a sales line, isn't it? You can be like God. That's why God doesn't want you to partake of this. Satan's slogan is this. He wants us to, instead of saying glory to God in the highest, his mindset is that we ought to be saying glory to man in the highest. People have, for several years now, talked about a new age religion. The where we just kind of need to realize that we all have this divine spark in us and we need to kind of recognize our own godhood. And, and as soon as we do that, then we've attained the status that we need. We don't really need to be saved. We're not really sinners. Oh, everything like that, just morally conditional. That's what people say is a new age religion. But you see, there's not anything new age about it because all it is is the original lie. That you can be like God. That you don't really need God. You don't need redemption. You yourself can be like God. And Satan made this temptation sound wonderful to them. What Satan wants us to do is stay focused on what we don't have. Even though it might be that one tree in the garden. Instead of being focused upon all that we do have. All the trees that God has provided for us. He wants us to be discontent. He doesn't want us to be satisfied with God's provisions. He wants us to have the same prideful desire that he had because Satan is wanting us to follow his lead when he said in Isaiah 14, I'll be like the most high. That's what he wants you and I to try and attain to be like God with our own prideful goals. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 tells us this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. In worship and serve the creature, which includes man himself. I, I 
you know, that would maybe leave us with a little bit more dignity than what Romans chapter 1 tells us because we even went to worship in bugs and things. Is what it tells us in, in Romans chapter 1. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. See, here's what the lie is. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The lie is that we can live our lives for creation, that we can live our lives for ourselves and not suffer any kind of ramification from doing so. That we can just live however we want to live, do whatever the world says is fine, and not have to worry about suffering any consequences from disobeying God whatsoever. See, here's the sequence. The sequence is he wants to get you to doubt. Then he wants to get you to the point that you deny. Because then it's just a short hop and a skip to outright rebellion against God. The outright going against God's will and disobeying him. So denial of God's word causes us to bring into question the character of God himself. But also denial of God's word does this. Denial of God's word encourages sinful conduct. I mean, if we can throw out what God says, we can throw out the do's and the don'ts. If we can even throw out the reason for a creator to be over us and us to be accountable to him, then that kind of opens up the door for us to just practice sinful conduct in our lives. The Bible says in verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. In with those verses, Satan accomplished his goals by doing this. He He sowed seeds of doubt in Eve's mind. He denies God's truth before Eve. And that kind of leaves Eve open for her natural desires and physical appetites to take over. She looks at this tree that God said not to eat, and she thinks about it being physically practical because it would be good for food. She looks at this fruit that God said not to eat, and she sees it as beautiful. It has aesthetic beauty to it. You know, like, wow, that, that's so beautiful, I want it. She sees that it has the potential for gaining wisdom, to be in the know. <laughs> Isn't that part of our sinful human nature? We want to be in the know, don't we? That's what prompts gossip and all kinds of things, because we want to be in the know the desire to make one wise. And that kind of pushed her over the brink because Satan had already said, hey, don't worry about it. There won't be any punishment. You'll not die. God said you would, but he's lying to you. You'll not die. And that opened up the door for her to go over the edge and disobey God. Theologians call it these three things here. The lust of the flesh. In other words, we look at things that we think would be good for our flesh, that we lust for, that we think our flesh needs. Theologians refer to what happens here as the lust of the eyes. That fruit was a delight to her eyes when she looked at it. And in our own lives, many times, sinful activity happens because of what we take into our eyes. Because we're looking at the wrong stuff, we're pondering the wrong stuff, we're thinking about the wrong stuff, through our eyes we bring it into our brain and into our heart, and that leads to the wrong activity. 
the pride of life, to be desired to make one wise. We see it many times simply because we have prideful desires ourselves, and that leads us to make the wrong choices in our life. And then also it said this, after she looked at it and she said, man, that looks really good. And she decided to partake of it because she thought it'll make me wise. That's what I've been told. After she ate of it, did you notice what she did then? Did you notice that she gave it to her husband? That's kind of like part of our human nature too. Because in some warped way, when we messed up and we sin, we convince ourselves if we can get someone else to mess up the same way we've messed up, then that makes me feel a little bit better about myself. After all, I made such a bad mistake here. If I can just get someone else to do the same thing, then that gets the monkey off my back a little bit because someone else is doing the same thing that I did. And she gives to her husband to eat. Now, he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to eat. Eve was deceived. We talked about that last week. The Bible said that Adam literally, deliberately sinned and disobeyed. And when he did, here's what happened. He plunged the whole world into judgment. Look what it says it said in 1 Corinthians. We'll get to the second part of the verse later, right at the end of the message. But 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, first part of the verse. For as in Adam... All what? Die. See, Satan's lie was this. God's lying to you. Don't believe what God's saying. Go ahead and disobey God. Eat this fruit. And it is a step upward for the human race. Because you'll become like God. When in reality, instead of it being a step upward, it was a massive step down for the human race. Because of what Adam did, we all became sinners in this tragic downward fall. So denying God's word kind of makes it easy for us to do sinful things. Third tragic consequence of denying God's word is this. Denial of God's words destroyed human innocence. Look at verse 7 through 10. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the, garden, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. One of the consequences of denying God's word is that it completely destroyed human innocence. Innocence is lost. When this happened to the human race, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, Suddenly their innocence is gone. And now, in an instant, they're dealing with some things they've never had to deal with before. Like shame and guilt. And the uselessness of human works. And the fear of being in the very presence of God. They had never experienced any of those things before. Let me break those things down in a little bit more detail. As soon as they sin, there's an immediate impression of shame. No one had to come along and say, hey, you shouldn't have done that. An immediate impression of, 
of shame hit their hearts. They, they knew that they were naked, the Bible says. Now, there's no way to be 100% clear on this as to why all of a sudden things were different. Some theologians believe that there was some kind of initial covering of their nakedness, whether it be completely physical or if it was only spiritually. So, because of the glory of God, and then when they sinned, the glory of God departed. And then later on, when we receive Christ as our Savior, the Bible says when someone receives Christ as their Savior, we receive the imputed righteousness of God. So then it's like that glory has been restored to our lives because when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as sinners. He sees the very righteousness of his Son instead. And it may have just been, it was just a a mindset because they didn't see anything wrong with what God had created because God created the human body and, and just in itself, there's not anything wrong with it. It's beautiful. It's our mindset and our motives and our actions that make it seem wrong or sinful in some way. But we know without any doubt, instantly they feel shame. Not only is there an immediate impression of shame, there's also an ineffective restoration through works. They try to fix it themselves. <laughs> they, they realize they messed up. They realize that they're naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They're trying to cover up their nakedness, their guilt, their shame by their own works, by taking fig leaves and sewing the fig leaves together. But God wouldn't accept that because when we get on in the story next week, we'll discover that God, when he saw what they had tried to do with the fig leaves, he killed some animals. Now, it doesn't say he killed some animals, but it says he made covering for them out of animal skins. I'm assuming the animal died, Okay. Be kind of cruel for God just to skin it and let it walk around that skin all the rest of its existence. So there's a substitute that has to die. You can bake that around in your mind a little bit between now and next week about who that substitute really is. See, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 89 tells us this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Adam and Eve sewing these fig leaves together is a type or a picture of human beings trying to take care of their own guilt and their own sinfulness through their own works. They went and they picked the fig leaves. They sewed the fig leaves together. They tried to cover up their nakedness, but God said that will never do. And that's why he killed the animals, a substitute, and covered their nakedness with the skins. There's an ineffective attempt by Adam and Eve to cover their sin, to cover their their nakedness. There's also an internal condemnation of guilt because the Bible also told us there the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of God. Now up until this point, I think they were thrilled to hear God in the garden. It's God again. It's our creator. We, We get to go in fellowship with him. I can imagine when God would come that maybe they would run to enjoy that time of fellowship. But now because of the shame and guilt in their lives, we're told that they're hiding themselves from the very presence of God. 
They're, they're afraid to be around God. They're, they're guilty because of what they've done. And instead of enjoying their fellowship with God, when they heard God approaching, they ran and they hid. And that still happens today. Guilt of our sin will cause us to shrink back from wanting to be in the presence of God. Because we are aware of what we've done. And we're aware of how holy and perfect He is. The Bible in Romans chapter 3, verse 11 says, There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. Why? Because we're guilty. Our, our sin keeps us away from a holy God. Billy Sunday, who is a, uh, an evangelist from years ago, and he was pretty uh, boisterous in the way he would do things, and, and all. he had a lot of neat sayings. One of my favorite sayings of, of Billy Sunday, someone went up to him one time after he had finished preaching, and they said, Billy, you, you, run the, you rub the fur the wrong way. And he said, no, you just need to turn the cat around. Cat's going in the wrong direction. I found a quote by Billy Sunday this week, and it says, sinners can't find God for the same reason criminals can't find policemen. They aren't looking we got some of our deputies here today that come to church. Hey, when's the last time a criminal came up and said, I've been looking for you all night long to tell you what I did? That's the same reason the sinners don't want to find God, because they're, they, they don't want to come into his holiness when they're dealing with this guilt in their, their lives for, for what they've done. So they try to hide. But trying to hide from God is foolishness or futile because it doesn't work. David writes this on Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or in other words, hell, or the grave, you are there. There's other passages that talk about if I go to the depths of the ocean, you're there. You see, there's not any place you can really hide from God. You can't hide in the trees of the garden. You can't find a dark enough alley to where you can hide and God not know. So here, Adam and Eve, in their guilt and their sins, hiding. But thankfully, God came looking for them, and God said, where are you? Now, freeze that just for a moment. Now, I'll get back to the main part of the message. God doesn't ask where you are because he needs information. You understand that? God is an all-knowing God. God knew the very moment, he foreknew the very moment that Adam and Eve would do what they did in sinning. God's not coming through looking for a news release trying to find out where Adam and Eve have hidden themselves. He knew right where Adam and Eve were located. Instead, the reason God asked the question is this. He's given Adam an opportunity to come out and say, I've done this thing you told me not to do. He's given Adam an opportunity to be honest and transparent and come forward and say, I've sinned. I, I've done what you said we shouldn't do, and, I, and I've done it. Thankfully, God's plans to continue to look for sinners, amen? Because the Bible says the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Thank God, amen? Oh, some of you don't think you're sinners. Thank God that he came to seek and to save that which is lost, amen? Because we're all messed up. There's also an intense reaction of fear. 
that takes place as a result of their, of their guilt and, and their sin. Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, sin in our lives produces both shame and guilt. And when our own self-efforts, our own fig leaf activities fall short of erasing the guilt and the shame in our lives, we're very fearful and hide from God. Guilt and fear kindly peas in a pod. Those two things kindly go together. And in light of the denial of God's word and the fall into sin and the shame and the guilt and the fear that it brings, because right now it's all kind of being downer stuff, huh? <laughs> I want to give you about three verses to lift you up a little bit. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, Adam plunged us all into sin. Yes, we ought to have shame and guilt before holy and righteous God. But Hebrews tells us this. Let us then with confidence, not fear, not guilt, not shame. He says, let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace. Not the throne of deserving it, not the throne of our works, but the throne of grace. God given us what we cannot deserve and can never earn or deserve. With confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. You see, yes, we're all sinners, but when we put our faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross as our substitute that I implied earlier, I told you to think about between now and next week. We'll talk more about that in detail next Sunday. But there's a substitute who died in your place. And when we trust in that finished work of Jesus on the cross, when we believe in him, Take God in his word that when we trust in Jesus, he forgives us of our sin and births us into his family. That gives us the confidence to approach the very throne of God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 through 23 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, let me stop a minute and I'll finish reading in a second. Hebrews takes a lot of things from the Old Testament sacrificial system. When you look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, there's only one day a year that anyone could go in the most holy place. And that would be the high priest and the high priest alone. Matter of fact, they would tie a rope around his ankle in case somehow he got back there and displeased God to the point that God killed him because the only way to get him out was to pull him out with a rope because if they went back there, God would have killed them also because of his holiness and perfection. This is what that is a picture of what it's referring to. There, there was this veil that was between mankind and God. Not just the veil that was torn when Jesus died on the cross there in the temple. There's also this spiritual blockade, this veil between us and God. But now, since we have confidence through the blood of Jesus, we can enter the very holy place of God by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. In other words, the guilt and the shame is gone. The fear is gone of approaching God because through Jesus, all of that has been changed. Our evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is 
faithful. If God tells you that you believe in Jesus, you trust in the finished work of Christ, that changes everything for you. That brings you back into a right relationship with God. God keeps that promise. He's made you completely holy, perfect, and clean as far as God's concerned. He looks at you like you have never, ever sinned. That's what justification is all about. And that means even though you had guilt and shame in the past because of what you have done, you don't need to have guilt and shame now because Jesus took care of it all. And we can approach him. John said this, Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. He's writing to believers who have already believed. And he's saying, now that you have believed, live in such a way that when he appears, you don't have to be ashamed or guilty about how you're living your life or what you've done or how you've served him when he appears. The loss of innocence took place because of the actions of Adam and Eve. And what we need to put on is not fig leaves of our own making. We need to put on Jesus. Believe in him by faith and understand we can approach God with a humble boldness when we've trusted in Jesus. The last consequence of denying God's word that we're going to talk about today is, is this. Denial of God's word led or leads to denying personal responsibility. Look at what's said in verse 11 down through verse 13. And he said, God said to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And once again, God doesn't need the information. God knew. God just wanted Adam to come clean. The man said, let me call time out for a minute. All you men that are here and you have your wife sitting beside you, be very careful how you behave right now, okay? The man said, the woman <laughs> whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what? Is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Do you understand, if, if we can deny God's word being true, then it also makes it fairly easier for us to deny that we've done anything wrong. To deny that we've sinned. If I can be brazen enough to deny God's word, whether it's true or not, then that opens up the door for me also to be conceited enough just to act like I've not done anything wrong. See, in this story, Adam never says, when God said, did you eat of that tree? He never says, yes, I did. Did you notice that? Instead, he makes excuses. He says, the woman that you gave me. So not only is he passing the buck, passing responsibility from his own actions, from his own life to Eve, ultimately he's blaming God 
for what happened because he said, the woman that you made, the woman that you gave me, she ate of it and she gave it to me and I ate of it. So God, ultimately it's your fault. See, people are twisted and demented in their thinking in, in our day and time also. Well, God, if you didn't create that drug, I wouldn't have taken that drug. You didn't create that woman to make her as pretty as she was, I wouldn't have done what I did. You didn't make that man as handsome as, as he is and, you know, the way he dressed and, man, the money he's got and things like that, I, 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 I wouldn't have done what I did. See, we come up with all kinds of excuses. We want to pass the buck. We want to pass the responsibility to somebody else. He looks at Eve and says, what have you done? She said, well, the serpent gave me, and while she didn't say it, I will bet you anything she was thinking in her mind, especially after what Adam had just said. He passed the buck to me. Well, guess what, God? It's the serpent that gave me. By the way, that's the serpent that you made. I think it was probably kicking around in her mind a little bit at that point in time when she made an excuse. See, in this story, there are excuses. They're not, they're, they're, we, we don't find confession. We find reasons why they did what they did, but we don't find repentance. God wasn't looking for excuses. Denial of God's word led to a denial of personal responsibility, and it still happens today. Everybody has an excuse, and it's always somebody else's fault. And God help us, we even allow for it. I'm not trying to be political this morning. I'm just trying to be realistic. But, you know, everything that's been happening out, and I'm not a racist. Any of you know me, understand that I, that I am not a racist at all. But all the stuff that, that's happening, you know, out in, in the, uh, you know, Ferguson, Missouri, and things like that, it, it, it's like we're saying it's okay because of, because of the past that someone's face, and it's okay for them to act like they are right now. Well, if you take that line of thinking, my dad was an alcoholic. I saw my dad beat my mom, start naked with a pistol when I was in the second grade. My dad ran around with women. My, my, my dad blew uh, everything that he made almost instead of bringing it home to help support the family. My dad, when I was 12 years old, was at a nightclub where he shouldn't have been, when he should have been on his way home. And, and he followed someone home, got in an argument with them, turned around to walk off, and, and was shot in the back that night. So if I'm going to say my environment gives me the right to behave the same way, then that would open up the door for me to say, because my dad lived like that, it's okay for me to live like that. And that's a lie from hell. We, we, we all, and, and, and honest guys, that's, I'm just using that as an illustration of, uh, a moment ago. I understand how, how people have been mistreated. I understand how they get in the mindset and everything. But we, we can't allow that to impact our personal choices today. Adam did not have to eat of that fruit. Even though Eve had already done it and she brings it to him, he, he did not have to do it. And yet he does. Everyone has an excuse. Everyone has a reason. Everyone wants to pass the blame to somebody else. To quote Billy Sunday again, he also said this, an excuse is a sin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's what an excuse is. 
You're taking a skin of a reason and you're stuffing it full of a lie and you think that makes everything okay. When people start to make excuses, it's evidence that they don't sense the enormity of their own personal sin and their own personal guilt and their own personal choices and they want to make excuses instead of confess and repent. If sinners can find a loophole, they'll run through it as fast as they can. God doesn't want our excuses. God already knows the full story. No one has to tell God you've sinned and you've messed up. God already knows everything that he could possibly know about your life, the past, the present, and what will happen in the future. God already knows. That's why God, instead of us being the type of people that make excuses, that's why God wants us just to be transparent and admit to him and say, God, I've, God, I've messed up. Wisdom is never attained by disobeying and denying God's word. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not rejecting him, not doubting him, not denying what he said, but it's the fear, it's an awe and respect of God that's the beginning of the wisdom. In, in, in this story, we have two sinners on the other side of having partaken of this fruit. We have two sinners that hear God and they fear God and they hide from God. Did you catch in the story where they were hiding from God? Where were they hiding? In the trees. They're hiding in the trees and that's where that tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil was located in the middle of the garden. They were hiding in the trees. They're hiding in the very place of their sin. They're hiding in the very place of their fall, their failure. That's where they're hiding. Can I ask you today where you are hiding? Because we tend to do that. We tend to believe the devil's lie. Once we've messed up, we might as well just stay where we are. We might as well just keep hiding in this sin, in this grove of trees we've made for ourselves. We, we might as well just keep, keep hiding there. Where, where are you hiding today? Are you someone that's hiding because you think you've messed up too much and, and you're afraid to try and step forward into God's presence? You're afraid to admit to God what you've done. Where, where are you hiding today? Because the only tree that will work is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only tree you and I can hide in. In this story, the themes in Genesis 3, you've got death and toil and sweat. We'll see some of this next week. Thorns. You've got the tree. You've got struggle. You've got the, the, the seed and this rebellion that's going to be between the seed of the serpent and the, and the, and the seed of Eve. All of those things are later traced to Jesus. Because you see, he's the other Adam who became the curse for us. He's the other Adam who sweat great drops of blood in bitter agony. He's the one that did our labor for us that we cannot do on the cross. He wore the crown of thorns. He hung on the tree until it was all paid. He took the full penalty for our sin, our death, and was placed in a tomb in a garden. And then he took his life back up to show he had won it all.
Everything lost by the first man, Adam, is regained by the second man, Adam. We read the first part of this verse earlier. The rest of the story is this, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Thank God for grace. Amen. Romans chapter 5, 19, for as by one man's disobedience, that's talking about Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many shall be made righteous. Your only hope is not fig leaves of your own making. It's not continuing to hide out from God in the midst of the place of your sin. Your only hope is faith in Jesus Christ and His death on the tree and His grace and His mercy for you. Let's pray. Father, Forgive us, Lord, when we, uh, when we make excuses. When we believe the devil's lie and we start to doubt your truth or deny your truth. Forgive us when we've called into question your very character, your truthfulness or your motives. Forgive us, Lord, when we've allowed to deny your truth to bring about sinful conduct in our lives. God, help us that we've allowed our, our guilt to cause us to hide from you, that, that our denial of your truth has, has destroyed our innocence. But Father, instead of hiding from you, help us to answer your call and come forward and admit what we've done. Father, forgive us when we pass the buck, when we try to make everything in our lives somebody else's fault. Help us to be honest right now with ourselves and honest with you and admit our own choices, our own consequences, and admit our great need for your mercy and your grace. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you today as they do this song, if you're someone that's been hiding from God, if you've been hiding in that place of your sin, if you've been filled with guilt and shame and, and you just are afraid to come to God, that's not what God wants. God wants you to come to Him. He wants you just to admit what He already knows. And He wants you to understand what the first man, Adam, lost for you. Jesus, the second man, Adam, has gained for you. And if you've never trusted in Him, why not do it today? Please stand. Come as God speaks to your heart. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.